Thanks, Kalani. Big 12 open for business. Oh, yeah, baby. You know, Mitch. I am the new Greg Rubin. Mitch Harper. Welcome on in. Cougar Tracks podcast powered by kslsports.com. I am your BYU insider, Mitch Harper. Happy as always to have you on board to the program. Hope all of you had a happy National Signing Day. I know the cliche line is, it's not what it once was, but I got to say, this December and February signing days were pretty eventful for BYU football. And in this episode, I'll unpack everything that transpired for BYU's 2024 recruiting class. 31 signees in total, 20 on defense, 8 on offense, 3 on special teams. I'll give you all my thoughts on the signees, this class, and where things are moving forward for BYU football. You can follow me on X, at Mitch underscore Harper, Instagram as well at that handle. Follow KSL Sports on all the socials, at KSL Sports and download the KSL Sports app. So the most notable signees on Wednesday, February 7th, well, there's three guys, but they're guys that could have a big impact on this BYU football team. Most notably, quarterback Gary Bohannon, six foot three, 226-pound quarterback, comes via USF and Baylor. Well-known guy to BYU fans as the Cougars faced him twice at both of his stops. Now he's going to be donning the stretch Y and competing for the starting quarterback job. I caught up with Gary along with Matt Biamonte. We'll play the full interview this Saturday on, on Cougar Sports Saturday. It was insightful. We went about 20 minutes with Gary, and he was pretty candid about the road to recovery from the shoulder. Noted that he couldn't pick up a football and honestly thought football was out of sight, out of mind for him until about November 2023. He noted that it was kind of like teaching a kid how to walk, relearning how to become a quarterback again. He feels good now, and he had a throwing session with Aaron Roderick, Matt Mitchell. But any suggestion that he's just going to be handed the quarterback job, I think that is inaccurate. And... Kalani Satake, in his signing day press conference with the media, did note that he has no idea who the starting quarterback is going to be right now. And you could say, oh, that's coach speak. He's got to have an idea. He's the head coach. Honestly, I kind of believe it. I really think where we stand right now in February, first week of February in the books, I think Kalani Sataki is having an open mind. I don't think he's nailing his his program down to any one of these players. I personally believe this is the most open quarterback battle for BYU football since 2002. And I point to that year because it was guys like Brett Ingeman, Lance Pendleton. There just wasn't much in that quarterback unit. And I'm not saying that this group can't, become something good. But, I mean, it was Brett Ingeman, Matt Barry, Lance Pendleton, Todd Mortensen. Goodness gracious. It was just kind of a hodgepodge grouping of guys. And right now, BYU's quarterback unit is is just that. It's kind of a hodgepodge group that taken unique paths to get here to BYU, but now they're going to compete in spring. And the top two guys to compete, I believe, are Gary Bohannon, and Jake Retzlaff. 
So Bohannon's going to have every opportunity to compete and win that job. We'll see if he can do it. We'll see how he performs. I'm very intrigued to see what Bohannon looks like in spring. It could be a situation, too, where BYU might have to go, you know, dip their toes into the transfer portal post-spring for the quarterback spot. And I could see a scenario where April is more fruitful with quarterbacks in that April window post-spring than maybe what we saw in December. I still believe there was good talent in that December window, but, you know, not good enough to warrant maybe the $500,000, $1 million price tag, and BYU goes to Bohannon to see what he can do. They got Retzlaff as well. They've got Ryder Burton. They've got Noah Lugo. They've got Trayson Borgay. They got a lot of guys, Cade Finnegan, Nick Billups. I'm just intrigued to see how it all shakes out. Usually, I feel incredibly confident going into any given year how the quarterback position shakes out because you you always hear buzz behind the scenes. You hear what's trending, what's going on in the scout teams. What's there, There's just no real momentum from inside the walls that says one guy's going to go get it. I really believe they just want to see someone rise to the top and go take the job and wow them to where they don't have to go into the portal post-spring because that's not ideal. How often do you see a quarterback roll in in April or May and then lead a team to great heights? The only guy I can think of off the top of my head in college football was Russell Wilson when he left NC State and went to Wisconsin. I believe that was a summer deal. And Wisconsin was awesome that year with Russell Wilson. But aside from that, there's just not many examples of a a spring or summer edition just captivating a program on short notice. And look, BYU's in a spot where they're going into a season, low expectations. I don't think anyone's going to look at them as anything more than at best, 12th best in the Big 12. At the same time, you you got to get back to the postseason. I think you got to get back to 500. You don't want to string together losing season after losing season because that then becomes your identity in the Big 12. I think there's this energy with this recruiting class as we dive more in to this 2024 class. Opportunity abound. You still have the newness of the Big 12. You still have this new world order in the conference, 16 teams. Who's going to be the top dog? Everyone's chasing it. And all these young guys coming to a BYU program where they're going to step in and compete right away. This is not your typical BYU recruiting class where, hey, see you in three years when you take a mission, when you then gray shirt, and then maybe red shirt. Maybe we'll see you in four years, Olympic style. Like that, That's not the case with this class. This class is going to compete this fall, this spring. You're going to see a lot of these names populating on the depth chart potentially, and that's exciting, and then that's refreshing, and I think it's what BYU needs to do. You know, BYU recruiting – has always been undersold to me. And that's just my personal opinion. I think there's this narrative, because it's a faith-based school, I think for people that haven't followed BYU football for decades, they've looked at it in the social media era, which is about 2006 to now, maybe even 2010. In that time frame, BYU hasn't been a recruiting juggernaut. 
they've kind of taken on this approach of, well, we want recruits that sell themselves to BYU. That don't work in the power conference. And I thought it was refreshing coming out of signing day, both in December and February, that Kalani Satake is admitting that. BYU took too many developmental projects. They did. Like, you looked at the defensive line in past years. For every Blake Mangelson, for every John Nelson, there were seven, eight, nine, ten guys where that developmental guy just didn't belong on a D1 roster, a D1 scholarship. You look at the dudes now that BYU's adding along the D-line, these are D1-worthy prospects that could that warranted scholarship offers to a lot of power conference teams. That's what you have to do because it then becomes you bring in like eight, nine guys on the D-line, you're bound to hit on at least two or three. Maybe two is more realistic, but if you can go three and four, man, suddenly you've got a stable, a foundation that can build for years to come. And because right now BYU's defensive front was at rock bottom. I mean, that defensive line for the past few years has been the worst in college football in generating a pass rush. It's been non-existent. And this class, because of the sheer volume, the talent, the recruiting, the offers that these guys pulled down on the trail, it gets you excited. Is this the best class that BYU's ever assembled? No. BYU in the past has assembled far greater classes that were top 25 classes. You just don't know about them as much because they were pre-internet era. You know, there were a few classes in, you know, 2010 that was a top 25 class with Jay Keeps. There's been some where BYU's put a dent nationally. But I think there's a lot more potential that BYU has on the recruiting trail than what they've shown in recent years. This ranking in the 70s, 80s, that to me is not acceptable. And it's never been acceptable for BYU. I think they're a far better program than how they have recruited. They've punched above their weight for far too long. But then once they got in a power conference league, it became a harsh reality of, oh, we got to get a lot more dudes into this program. And I think they did. And the other additions on the February signing day, Sefu Akoila, linebacker from Fremont High School, and then his high school teammate, Naki Tuikoi, linebacker from Fremont High as well, Oakland, California. These dudes are studs. And kind of interesting recruitments where these are the classic they just completely go dark off the grid, and you're wondering, where are they going to end up? And there was a lot of buzz going into December that they could be signing with BYU. It took a little bit of time. They sign in, in February, and they'll be joining uh, in the summer period to be ready for fall camp. And that's exciting. And that linebacker unit for BYU in 2024, very intriguing. Because you bring back Ben Bywater. You bring in Jack Kelly from Weber State, who I think could be the best player in this class in the short-term, immediate future. I think he's a plug-and-play guy. Day one, he's going to be a starter for you. You bring back Harrison Taggart. You bring back Cialia Sarah. Isaiah Glasker returns. Ace Kafusi was coming on strong last year. Micah Kafusi still kind of in that developmental phase. Same with Miles Hall. I, I love what's happening at the linebacker unit for BYU. And to add in Tuakoi and Akuila, I just think that helps kind of brings in more competition where, okay, Ace Kafus, you got to take that step forward to fend off these guys. That That's what happens in power conference programs. Iron sharpens iron. And I think that's what this class brings to BYU. You know, I got into a lot of these guys in depth 
in the December signing day recap, which I highly recommend you go listen to. But I think some of the notable players on this class that I really am high on, Therian Alexander the third cornerback out of DeKalb High School in Georgia. He's already in the program going through winter conditioning. Dynamite personality on social media. I think he's going to become a fan favorite. Huge personality. Talking to him as well. I had an interview with him back in October. Go listen to that on the Cougar Tracks feed as well. I think he's someone that can have a an impact in year one because you look at the cornerback position for BYU. Jacob Robinson, he's the star. He's going to be the number one guy for the Cougars. You know, Mark Collins from Weber State will be someone who's already enrolled. It was interesting. They didn't announce him. And Kalani, if you listen between the lines, he noted that there's some transfer portal guys that are PWOs that they hope to get scholarships soon. That would kind of fall under the category for Mark Collins. But he's in the mix for a one-year. They've got Maury Bamba returning. Jaden Dunlap, who was injured for most of last season from the JC ranks, he returns. You got Evan Johnson, Zion Allen, Marcus McKenzie, uh, a speedster who Jay Hill has given rave reviews to. He's kind of an interesting guy. Jonathan Cabea, and then Therian Alexander. Uh, Dylan Flowers in the mix, too. Southern Utah walk-on. So, you know, I, I think there's it's ripe for opportunity for Therian Alexander to say, I'm a top dog from the day one. And he's got that chance in front of him. And outside of Jacob Robinson's position... You let that competition play out where he goes and competes with Maury Bamba, where he's competing with Dunlap and Marcus McKenzie for that job. Falatau Satuwala. Man, what a big time get for BYU, the number one recruit in the state of Utah. I think this is a, a classic signee of the impact of Jay Hill. You know, BYU battled for recruits, and Kalani noted that in this signing day class that they went in and didn't shy away from the battles. I think far too often BYU got too afraid of investing time and investing resources into the the blood, sweat, and tears it takes to land a high-profile recruit. Like, Falatau Satuala is a four-star prospect, number one recruit in the state of Utah. When you're the number one recruit in any state, I don't care what state it is, but especially one like Utah, that has a deep pool of talented recruits year in and year out now, the projection has got to be you're going to be a future NFL player. And that's what you get in Falatau Satuala, who Kalani raved about his natural instincts. They're going to start him out at free safety. You know, he played linebacker at the U.S. Army All-American game. That's where he committed to, to BYU. I guess it's not the U.S. Army All-American game. It's just All-American game now. Old habits die hard, I guess. But Satuwala was two-way player, wide receiver, defensive specialist. He was outstanding. For a bountiful team that wasn't really good, and he single-handedly carried them to be in the mix for the state title. I mean, that's how impactful he is. You don't see that often where one dude in football can lift you to incredible heights, and that was him. And for a non-quarterback, too. Pretty remarkable how good Falatau Satuala is. And I think just uh, you look back without Jay Hill, you're losing that guy to Utah, guaranteed. Guaranteed. I don't even think it's a debate. He's he's going up to the hill. But now with Jay Hill and now this staff that invites recruiting battles and wants to play the game 
and wants to do it at the highest levels because Kelly Papinga too. Like that guy was battling in Virginia in the in the East Coast where you have a short area of land and you probably got 20 Power 5 programs competing. And you got to go get these recruits in these, you know, Washington DC area. Kelly Papinga got valuable lessons on the intensity of recruiting. Jay Hill's known it for years. Sione Bua has known it for years. And General Guilford, I think, has always been an ace recruiter. That's why he was maintained on the staff. So I, I love the addition of Santuala, and I think it's safety. It's very interesting with that group. This, you wonder, I think, at the safety position, who are the guys that can be stars? The guys that can be maybe an all-Big 12 performer at that position. I think that's the question you've got to ask. You don't simply base it on, oh, they're returning so they and they got all the experience in the world, so they're the starter. No. Who can be the all Big 12 guy and be consistent day in, day out, and perform at a high level? I think it could be Falatau Satuwala and Micah Harper. That might be your top two guys. I, I like Talon Alfrey. I do. I think he's solid. I really like Crew Wakely. I mean, if I was to say way too early week one starters, I might go Micah Harper, Crew Wakely. Raider DeMooney's in that mix, too. He's a hard hitter. Curious to see what leaps he takes in his sophomore season. You bring back Preston Rex, who got a lot of time. You also have a walk-on transfer in Darian Blue-Stewart from Utah. Matthias Leach joins the mix. Tommy Parasis from Arizona. Basha High School, the same school as, as Micah Harper. Ty Burke. He had a full redshirt year to get fully healthy. He's in the mix. He'll be a good one down the road. But Satuala, man, I think it'll be hard to keep him off the field. I I would be stunned if he's not a two-deep guy for BYU next fall. I also really like Enoch Watson at quarterback, too. And we're not going to see him until, well, at the earliest, 2026. But out of American Leadership Academy, he was someone that went to BYU camps for four years. Watson's got a good arm. He probably has the best arm talent out of the quarterbacks they added in this 2024 cycle. He'll be one to monitor down the road as who could be the future guy. But I think, again, what's interesting going back to the quarterback position is that BYU's not getting the high-profile recruits at that position anymore. They're getting these under-the-radar guys, and I'm okay with that if you trust your evaluations, but... It leaves this feeling of, like, who's the next big thing? Like, this is BYU. This is the BYU quarterback position. It's prestigious. I, to me, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm so close to covering BYU and following it day in and day out. I understand that. I also love college football, too. Like, BYU quarterbacks... You can stack it up against any other program in college football, and there's a case BYU might have the best quarterback unit in history of college football. Now, in the last 10 years, there's been programs like Oklahoma that have really moved up the ranks, and I, and I get that. They've produced Heismans. Miami was great in the Tay-Day. USC's had some great ones. I, so I get it. But BYU's quarterback pedigree is top shelf, and that standard of any Standards should never be lowered. BYU's quarterback pedigree. They should be able to go get the high-profile recruits. And I just, I don't think you say, well, you know, there's limitations. And, like, 
that to me, of, of one position, if you're going to go play the NIL game, it's quarterback. Okay, other spots where you're like, eh, I don't know if I want to pay the, that money to a safety. Okay, fine. But quarterback, play the game. Go pay that million dollars because a quarterback is worth it. Yeah, just think about what uh, like a four- or five-star recruit at quarterback could do for the energy, the excitement, the, the job security for coaches. Quarterback position matters so much. And look, Watson, I think, could be a really good one for BYU. But it's developmental. It's not one of those deals where you just plug and play from day one, especially when you're coming back from a mission. It's going to take time. You know, maybe four years down the road. It's a long time. Like, what does college football look like in four years? What does this BYU program look like in four years? What does the Big 12 look like in four years? Like, I, I don't know. So, you know, it's it's got to be a lot of patience, too, with this quarterback group. Along with its 31 signees, BYU also announced the return missionaries from previous signing classes that are going to be joining the program at some point before fall camp. Some of these guys are going to be part of spring football. Other ones will join in the spring term and then summer and then get ready for fall camp. Those players include Jovesa DeMuni, running back at a Ridgeline High School, Cody Hagen, wide receiver, Corner Canyon High School, Pokaya, I'm gonna say I'm gonna botch this. Pokayana Honga. I gotta get better at that. Running back 5'11, 200 at a Tent View High School. Dallin Havea, defensive tackle, 6'2, 250 out of Provo. Sione Hingano, 6'5, 285 out of Chandler High School, offensive line. Nathan Hoke, linebacker, 6'3, 225 at a North Allegheny High School in Pennsylvania. Dominique McKenzie. Wide receiver, 5'11", 175 out of Pineview. Noah Mowiaki, tight end, 6'3", 225 out of American Fork. Some notable takeaways from that group. Damuni, Honga, running backs. Now, Damuni was expected to be a running back when he signed a few years back. Honga was, you know, kind of just tabbed as an athlete. Wide receiver, running back, could do a lot of different things. He's sliding in at running back. Shows, again, that there's... Not much depth at that running back spot. You like LJ Martin. He's got the potential to be RB1. There's a high bar in the Big 12 for what an RB1 in this league looks like. I don't know if BYU's got an RB1 to the likes of Ollie Gordon, Taj Brooks, Devin Neal. I don't think there's anyone in this group that's to that level. That's the Big 12. Maybe Jovesa Damuni and Honga can provide a lift of competition. I think, you know, Hinkley Ropati will be a big boost coming back. But to me, that running back position is where BYU needs to get a transfer portal guy. I think in the post-spring, you've got to get a running back. Because unlike quarterback, running back's one of those positions where it's primarily based on instincts, and you can show up in May and be a dang good running back for a team. Even if Damuni and Honga are great in spring. Like, don't get complacent. Go get a transfer portal running back. Cody Hagen's going to be big time. This is someone, the sky is the limit for Cody Hagen. 6'1", 180 out of Corner Canyon. He will be a monster at BYU. He's going to be a great one. I know that people always shy away from saying those sort of things because, oh, let's, let's see it. They've never played a down. Like, you can just see the talent. The guys that don't pan out in their BYU careers or in football in general that get to this level, it's typically 
injuries, maybe academics, off the field, mental health. It's not simply like, oh, they don't belong on the field. They're not talented enough, like a complete misevaluation. There's very few four-star guys that I've looked at in the last 10 years that come through BYU and say, whoa, that was a complete and utter whiff. No, I disagree with that. I just think there's there's so many factors that go into a guy not living up to it. Because I think some people would say, well, what about Gunnar Romney? You know, I put out a list of the best signees to play for BYU in the Kalani Sataka era. Gunnar Romney was still productive at BYU, almost had 2,000 career yards, just played with injuries. Hamstring, you know, the ribs or kidneys. I mean, it was just so much with Gunnar Romney where he was never available. If Cody Hagan can stay healthy, he'll be dang good for BYU. He will. For a wide receiver, too, you wonder what's the quarterback situation going to look like, and that's a real question for BYU going forward. You know, guys that were great BYU history, Nakua, Austin Colley, Cody Hoffman. Like, Cody Hoffman's the one guy that was great despite subpar quarterback play. But go back in time, like even the, the statistical leaders, you know, in Eric Drage type, he had Ty Detmer. Pukunakua had Jaron Hall. Austin Colley had Max Hall, John Beck. Dax Milne had Zach Wilson. You got to have a great signal caller tossing you the pill. But I think Hagan will be excellent for BYU in his career. I was excited to see Dallin Havea listed on the return mission. He kind of, he's one of those guys that's been kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit for a few years. You know, it's, it's so fascinating with return missionaries because I hate when players go on missions in the fall. Again, this is just a personal thing. Like, go when you can. Like, serve the mission. But from a logistical tracking roster movement deal, it's a nightmare for me. And I know you don't care about my personal tracking, but it's just it's so hard to then calculate, okay, this guy left in the fall – He's been gone for three years. Is he just gone out of sight, out of mind? Dallin Havea pops up, and he's going to be a D-tackle, 6'2", 250, out of Provo. Now, his brother, Drayson Havea, he's going to play rugby. So he's someone that's moving on from the football program. But Dallin, he's going to give it a go on the interior of the line. I can just see that body's going to grow to about 310. I just can sense it. He's got the frame to be a D-tackle and add on 50, 60 pounds and be very strong and maintain that strength. So I like that move by BYU to put him at D-tackle. Sione Hingano, 6'5", 285 out of Chandler. This kid's athletic at the offensive line spot. I think this is going to be one, though, that takes time. You hope by you know year two he's someone that's in the two deep. I don't have much expectations in year one, but his athleticism is unique. And I think also with a new offensive line coach, T.J. Woods, I think he comes in with a blank canvas. You know, Connor Pay is going to be in the mix. Waylon Lapuaho is going to be in the mix. Like, those are your starters. Braden Kime's going to start, probably. But after that, I think you listen to anything and everything. I loved what I heard from Kalani Sataki that Caleb Etienne is making significant leaps forward. That's promising. I think he's going to be due for a big bounce back. I'm excited for Etienne. But Hingano, excited about him, too, because I just like the frame. I like the athleticism. He's a, another guy that's got the build to add on good weight, and he can get up to, like, you know, 315 and be just a bookend tackle for BYU uh, that's athletic, too, kind of in that Blake Freeland mold going forward. 
Nathan Hoke out of North Allegheny High School in Pennsylvania. I like this kid. Coming out of high school, I love, I've always got a soft spot over the years for linebackers that are just highly productive and they can hit. And I love watching Nathan Hoke's huddle film. But it's taking time, though. He was another one of those classic cases of, you know, three years have gone by. What's the status here on Nathan Hoke? But he populates back on the RM list, and he'll be competing. He's Chris Hoke's son. His brother, Cade Hoke, PWO, he might be someone down the road to monitor, but Nathan's going to be joining the program this year. Dominic McKenzie going to compete a wide receiver, not DB. I like that move because that wide receiver position, even though you bring in a lot of veterans, hey, compete. Let's see what kind of change of pace a guy like Cody Hagan and Dominic McKenzie can bring. And McKenzie's speed is top shelf. I mean, you saw it with Marcus. It's a carbon copy with Dominique. So, see what he can do as maybe a slot receiver for BYU. And then Noah Moyaki, tight end, 6'3", 225. I love what's happening at the tight end position with the youth. You just wonder who's going to emerge and how does Kevin Gilbride kind of piece these players together and how that pecking order is going to look. It should be a lot of fun to see for BYU. There were some return missionaries that were not announced, and Kalani alluded to those guys, you know, when they return from the missions, will they gray shirt? That's to be determined. Those players include Jaron Kalama, former wide receiver out of Wasatch High School, grew up on the islands out in Hawaii. There was also another guy, Cooper Ross. That might be one of those guys maybe you wonder because it was the previous defensive staff's evaluation where the new defensive staff looks and says, okay, that's not maybe a guy that fits in our future, but for transparency and kind of monitoring all the roster movement. He is an RM that I'm tracking. Lutai Kinney. Kinney, a linebacker out of West High School. Cannon DeVries out of Weber High. He's expected to return back from his mission in May. But with so many bodies at safety, it might be in his best interest to just gray shirt, get healthy, then go hit it hard in January. But he'll be a good one down the road. Uh, Brooks Jones, younger brother to former BYU player Dean Jones, who's now at Southern Utah. Again, it might be a situation of previous defensive staff evaluation going in a different direction there. We'll see. So that's the RM list. Pretty good group. I think there's some potential impact there from this. And BYU is an interesting team to me in 2024 because, once again, it's loaded with a lot of freshmen. It's It's a young team. Your seniors next year are Gary Bohannon, Hinkley Ropati, Darius Lasseter, Keanu Hill, who goes to tight end, Ray Paulo, Mason Fakahua, Mata'ava Ta'ase, Braden Kime, Caleb Etienne, Connor Pay, Zay Banya, Tyler Batty, Blake Mangelson, John Nilsson, Ben Bywater, Maury Bamba, Jacob Robinson, Mark Collins. That's your senior class. A lot of youth, though, a lot of new faces, and I think that's needed. But it's a good blend of some veteran experience returning plus the new wave of talent that's going to come in and compete. It was an eventful day, and I enjoyed covering it all on kslsports.com. And signing day is just another mile marker to now counting down the days to BYU football spring ball. Yes, spring practices get fired up on February 29th. They will conclude on March 30th. And a little tidbit that Kalani provided was that they will not be able to go inside Lavelle Edwards Stadium because the field is being redone. So 
if they have a spring game, I would imagine it would probably be at the Provo High School, the old Provo High, which is now part of BYU's campus. They did a spring game there in 2019. That was the year, remember, Zach Wilson was out. Jaron Hall tore it up and, and looked really good to where you're thinking, man, this guy's got a bright future ahead. So they could do something like that if they do something that's open to the public. It was noted on a recruiting edit that they're going to have an alumni game on March 22nd, but we'll see. BYU spring football just around the corner. BYU football in general. I mean, it's not far off, folks. I'm already getting ready. Think about it. Big 12 media days in about five months. We're almost there. Just counting down the days. Getting ready for another season of Cougar football. And you know, every move is going to be documented and tracked on kslsports.com and here on the Cougar Tracks podcast. So I'll talk to you next time. Here on the Cougar Tracks podcast, make sure to subscribe to the show. Leave a five-star rating and a review. It helps out the show a ton. And I'll talk to you next time here on the Cougar Tracks podcast. And it's powered by kslsports.com.